Hello, and welcome to another episode of Challer, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Ryan Hartwig and Zach McElroy were my guests on today's show. Both are former Facebook insiders who became whistleblowers for Project Veritas, a larger project aimed at uncovering censorship on social media platforms and fighting for freedom of speech. We had a really interesting conversation on the practices inside Facebook, about selective censorship, the ideological stance being pushed by Facebook, and what we can do about big tech and social media platforms. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Here is Ryan Hartwig and Zach McElroy. Yeah, Ryan, Zach, it's an absolute pleasure to, to have you on my show. Thank you for having me. Where are you, com- where are you coming from today? Where are you based out of? Uh, I'm in Tampa, Florida. And uh, Ryan, where are you? Yeah, I'm in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know jo- my, my US geography very well. I have no idea how far apart that is, but you're in different states, so it's got to be at least a little bit. Yeah, basically it was <laughs> the country. Wow, okay. Well, thanks, thanks for taking the time. So, yeah, let's just uh, dive right into things. Um, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this, but but like, how did you both come to, to work at, at Facebook in the first place? Uh, do you want to just give me like a, an overview of like your career path a little bit and then why you were interested in working there? Yeah, so uh, I think I started a little bit earlier than Zach, but we worked for the same contracting company. So we both worked for Cognizant and we were uh, content moderators for Facebook. Um, so I started in March of 2018. And uh, so I was there for almost two years and I got hired as a bilingual Spanish content moderator. So I was basically uh, reviewing posts um, in Latin America. And so, yeah, I was there for two years and just started to see, see some things. We'll go into that more in detail. But yeah, started to see some examples of bias. But yeah, I was there for just under two years. Yeah, and uh, likewise, I was... Uh there for about a year. It was January 2019 until the end of February this year was when they uh, laid everybody off at both offices. Wow, okay. They just laid everyone off? Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. It had to do with uh, mistreatment of workers, something to do with PTSD that people developed on the job because they saw such horrible things. And um, they had a a bunch of bad press about that for like the last year leading up to it. And so The company, basically, the rumor is they decided to uh, cut their losses, and rather than continue with the otherwise rather lucrative um, deal with Facebook, they just decided to cut their losses for the uh, public image and, uh, uh, well, basically, yeah, lay everybody off instead of dealing with it. Okay, so the company that you both worked for had been contracted by Facebook to, to run, like, content moderation services. Okay, so then what exactly did, does that entail? Because the content moderation can mean anything from just like other censorship to like promoting certain kinds of stuff or like there's a whole like array of different things that, that could be going on there. Oh, yeah, I think Zach can explain this, explains this better than I can. <laughs> Go ahead, Zach. Oh, yeah, certainly. So <clears throat> the best way to uh, explain it to someone who isn't on the inside is, you know, if you report a post on the platform that's against the rules or maybe it's bullying someone, it'll go through, maybe people think it goes through a bot, like a robot, <laughs> but actually a lot of people do this. A lot of people see these posts and they review them and they uh, decide whether they're left up or taken down based on the guidelines. So 
the content moderation job is um, is just that. You sit down in front of a computer for 40 hours a week, and you see essentially a flood, a stream of uh, posts that get reported on the platform, either by people or automatically reported by their bots that crawl the pages. And who, who sets the guidelines? Uh, the people, so the guidelines are set by Facebook. So all the directives come from Facebook. So their policy is very, very wordy. It's kind of like being a paralegal. You're sifting through just like the the, the legalese of their policy to try to determine if, if some meme should be taken down or left up. Um, so yeah, the, the people who said it, it comes from, from the top, um, comes from Facebook themselves. And so if they're handing down these, these regular, these guidelines for say content moderation, who is, are you given like a training in, in the standards or just as, or you just basically given free reign to use your own judgment? Like, like how much control is there there of the actual process? So you want to take the Zach or do you want me to? Yeah, actually I would. That's a very interesting question because it's kind of both. There is a very much uh, clear um, cut and dry black and white policy that people go based off of. But even within that policy, they tell you that there are certain things that are kind of gray areas. I think, um, you know, whether something is, uh, I'm struggling to find a particular example, but there are portions of the policy that are told to us moderators as being somewhat of a gray area where, you know, it kind of could be, some things could go either way and it kind of depends on using your best judgment they would say use your best judgment and um but for the most part yeah there is actually a rather uh, meticulous uh definitions and a lot of really meticulous definitions in their policies that really describe some of the craziest situations you can imagine i think um, their violence policy defines how you deal with someone who is lost who's been has had their hand cut off versus someone who's been uh stabbed or someone who's had their head cut off or you know, really gruesome stuff, but they really micromanage all these details about how exactly how they categorize everything that should be taken down. Um, but yeah, there is there is also somewhat of an element of uh, gray areas. Yeah, and, and Josh, uh, just to kind of hop on that. So right, right now we have what's trending in the U.S. is like the whole Wayfair human trafficking issue. And so, for example, we had a policy at Facebook for human trafficking but it's very spelled out specifically. So as a, you think that they let us give us more allowance, like, hey, this looks shady, but you can't delete someone, just delete something just because it looks shady. So they give you a specific criteria. Okay, are they offering massages? Does, does it have certain elements required? Because there's a lot of things where I would say, hey, let's just take this down. Like, I, I know what this is, but if it doesn't meet their definition, you can't take it down. Okay. So like some people would probably already be uncomfortable with this idea generally that there's there's people watching every single post almost or anything that gets flagged by anyone can immediately be reviewed and, and people can can have their their speech censored as such, given the the kind of sanctimonious nature of some of these um, big tech platforms like Facebook in terms of their like, protection of freedom of speech as such. At what point did you realize that the, it wasn't quite just, you know, genuinely looking out for people or just looking out for content that might be offensive? At what point did you realize that there might be some kind of agenda going on? Or maybe, well, yeah, 
Yeah, so there was quite a few exceptions that I saw. So when, when they wanted to take something off the platform, they would say, hey, we're making a newsworthy exception. And the best example I can give is in the summer of 2018, there was a, a teenager in Texas who was attacked. He, he was a Trump supporter. He was wearing a, a, a red hat, a Trump hat, and he was attacked and, and someone cursed at him, said bad words to him, right? So it was, it was a viral video, millions of views. But Facebook said, hey, we're making a newsworthy exception or we're giving you guidance on how to, to, to action this job. So they said, hey, delete this job across the board. So this is a you know, video of a Trump supporter being attacked, being victimized. And they said to delete it because of the cursing at the minor. So that's, they did this on countless um, occasions where they made exceptions to the policy. And in, in the video released from three weeks ago, um, basically they, they made an allowance also to attack, allow attacks on straight white males as filth um, in the context of not supporting LGBT. So if I say, hey, Josh, you're a straight white male, you don't support LGBT, you're filth, like that's, a, that's a, an allowed attack. So it technically violates their hate speech policy, but they made an exception. Yeah, and that's actually something that you saw uh, very often. I think we saw exceptions for the phrase men are trash being uh, spoken on the platform. Normally, of course, it would be uh, violating their hate speech policy for attacking uh, gender, right? So, uh, but they actually made exceptions for that in the context of um, <clears throat> uh, certain events that happened. I think there was, uh, there was a prominent, like a public figure had been um, raped, and for some reason they allowed you to say, men are trash if you were if you were speaking about that story and there was also um kind of a two birds one stone situation where they also made their stance on abortion known in the wake of the uh there was an abortion law that was passed in alabama in the state of alabama last year uh and there was an image on instagram that was trending because of that in response to that it said something to the effect of uh, men shouldn't be making laws about women's bodies that actually normally violates their hate speech law as well, or their hate speech policy as well, regarding political exclusion for a gender. Uh, but they actually decided to make an arbitrary exclusion for that particular image to allow people to post that image that would otherwise be 100% violating. And their reason was, uh, it was pretty unclear. I don't think they even made the exclusion, or they, they even made the uh, newsworthy exception excuse. I think they kind of just said, well, just because we said so. How much of this do you think is an agenda as such? And how much would you say it's just an attempt to pander to, to like extreme elements of the left? How, how much is it like Facebook attempting to impose something? And how much is it them trying to like navigate the, you know, already <laughs> kind of fraught landscape of, of social justice and the culture war that's going on how, how much is that then just like trying to walk that sort of yeah. road yeah that's a good question because uh you know I, I got asked that yesterday um by someone because yeah, how much of it is about the money right because right now they're seeing issues with it's funny because the left is saying they're not censoring enough they're not censoring enough hate speech um we, and um yeah so how much is it about the money how much is an actual agenda or pandering I feel like you know these groups like Black Lives Matter. They influence a lot. They wield a lot of power over over social media, over big tech. Um, now, so it's pretty clear. I mean, is there an agenda? Are they doing this nefariously? I, 
I think it's very well. It's kind of hard to separate the two because they're they're being influenced. A lot of the people in the higher up positions probably just think like that, anyways. Like that's their their viewpoint, and so they're kind of mm-hmm. pushing that viewpoint on other people, and they are being influenced um, from those social forces as well. So the key to answering that is really um, you have to understand what the culture is at Facebook. You can say, well, they're you know, pandering to groups, you know, they're saying, well, they're, they're caving, I guess, to pressure, right? There's an ad boycott that's been going on that maybe we'll talk about later as well. Uh, you can say that they're caving to pressure, perhaps they're pandering to these groups. Um, it would be easy to say that, though, if you saw, I guess, a truly politically neutral uh, culture and a truly political, uh, neutrally, politically neutral office, uh, essentially pandering to that because it doesn't really align with their uh, ideology, but you have uh, you have a culture at Facebook, not just at the contract offices, but also at their main campus, like their actual headquarters, which is very famously, infamously uh, leftist, extreme, you know, extreme liberal in their culture. And I think because that aligns, that their their overall overwhelming political ideology aligns with the uh, I guess you would call the um, the bias, the political bias in their policies, it stands to reason that's that's the only possible answer that is the, that is actually their bias. So, why do you guys personally think it's it's problematic? Why why did you choose to to speak out and, and come forward and, and discuss this? Was did you feel that you had to that no one else would? Where was your train of thought there, and what what? What moment did you realize you thought, okay, I have to say something about this? Yeah, so for me, um, after about a year, like I noticed some things in the first year being there, and I started to document them and just kind of, you know, take notes. Okay, this is what's going on. And then I wrote a letter. I had about 20 examples of just pretty blatant bias I'd seen. So I wrote a letter to a couple of congressmen and, and the senators. And I didn't hear, didn't hear back from them. So at that point, I'm like, hey, you know, this is – this is pretty extreme. And it's funny because I actually listened to one of your podcasts from last summer with Dr. Bridget Shippers about mass surveillance. Mm. And it's, it's ironic because she was talking about how the training sets are biased and they tend to like favor the white males. And I actually found the opposite to be the case that white males are actually targeted um, by the algorithms, by the, by the policy. Um, But yeah, so that, that's kind of what, what pushed me over the edge is just, you know, just the average Joe citizen um, in America who's a Trump supporter who's being labeled as a racist just because of their political ideology. Yeah, that's actually funny that you mentioned that about someone you said said something about amplifying white, you know, <laughs> white men. So that's the opposite. I was actually in an interview with someone uh, with a couple of the people and one recently and one person had said, had said that they have an issue. Facebook has an issue with uh, with hate speech on their platform, and we've seen that they've been amplifying amplifying hate and hate pages. And I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, what planet are we living on? Are we on the same planet right now? Because I've been there and I've seen what's going on. I've seen their hate lists and what, the, what how they define hate speech. And I'm, I'm I'm hearing people say this all the time, and it's just it's an utter denial of reality. Uh, but to answer your question initially um, about what time I when, when it was that I decided that this had something had to be done about this it was right away actually uh the training for the job lasted four weeks about a month and immediately 
I saw everything that was wrong. I, the training of a, you know about a month was the dissemination of their policy, explanation of their policies, their exceptions, how they define you know hate speech, this and that. And you know, obviously, for someone who's a conservative going into the job, uh, well, it was pretty obvious from the start. And I actually didn't realize that that was going to be the case because before I interviewed for the job, I actually didn't know the work would be done for Facebook. It was actually kept quite under wraps uh, because you have to sign an NDA and this and that. So I actually didn't know it was going to be Facebook until I interviewed. And at that point, I knew, oh, I'm going into the lion's den now. So you you had you you really were were completely like unaware of the fact you were going to be working for one of the the biggest companies in the world, arguably. Yeah, the job description was uh, kind of vague, but it did mention that it was going to be some kind of like content analysis. And I had a vague notion that it might be something like Facebook, but I uh, was kind of surprised when I heard that actually it was going to be for Facebook. Okay, um, well. Just to, to the, I've had a little Google here just for for you know, posterity's sake, and like you, there is such such like a a variance of of suggestions that Facebook is biased or pro, all sides of the political spectrum. There's there was a Forbes article and a Washington Post article side by side talking about literally the opposite thing, which is is so great. Sometimes it cracks me up when you see that, but. Um, something that I did some research into for for my book was the way in which um, bots and and trolls on Facebook were able to use like anger and hate in order to like amplify certain certain messages um, during an election. Um, starting with say, don't worry, I can remove that. <laughs> no, <laughs> starting with for example, like. Say there was um, something that they wanted to amplify, they would immediately start like just posting like controversial comments and like provocative things under anything to start the the like chain reaction of people reacting and reacting and reacting to push things up the agenda. Did you have to deal with anything on on like that whilst you were at the the company? Um. So I noticed. Let's see here. So yeah. So as far as anger and hate, um. They purposely do um, separate people. Like, I had some discussions with the policy manager, and they they keep people of the same ideology. So they try to keep those groups together, um, which which is a can be a good thing and a bad thing because you have, if you have a bunch of people who think the same way in a group, it's going to amplify. Um, now, you mentioned like bots and trolls. Um, there is something called like a proactive pull. Where if something is trending, like we had this, uh, the, the the phrase "civil war" trending. So during the impeachment proceedings this past fall for President Trump, people were saying, "Well, if he gets impeached, we're going to have a civil war," and they used the the phrase "boogaloo." So that was trending. And so when I talked to my policy manager about it, he said, he basically said, "Hey, you know, if, if this ha this same thing happened in 2016, we would have put something in place." He said, "This is going to kind of boil, boil over." And so if we, we, if we saw that stuff in 2016, we would have put something in place to prevent it. So, um, you know, how much of those people talking about civil war are bots or trolls? Are they trying to instigate a civil war? How does Facebook respond to it? That's a really good question. Yeah, I've never really heard of this thing with the bots and trolls. It's 
that's yeah. kind of a... do you want me do you want me to like explain just like slightly in sli- like a slightly better terms what i mean by how they use it to like drive things up the agenda oh sure it's basically it's basically like a concept it's called uh trevor's axiom and as far as i can tell the the creators of south park are the the first people to have really like codified this in something where i can like find it I can find no reference to it before they talked about it on one of the episodes of the show. So I have to assume they've either heard it from someone that's in like circles that no, I have no idea how to find, or they've like penned the term themselves. But uh, basically it's where what you're trying to do, if you want to create like a mass reaction to something online, is you have to just like abuse people to the point where people jump to the defense of the uh, like original... Uh, person being um, being abused because the like abuse towards them is so massive that it makes someone overreact and their like overreaction makes someone go well I agreed with you at first but now you're just being a complete dick about it and then just to like explode that and because of the way that the social media works where as soon as something has more clicks and more reactions it gets like dri- driven up the agenda and like exponentially is seen by more and more people on more and more timelines that it can essentially like disrupt what people believe is is the big issue being talked about by everyone just because things are like hyper focused on these tiny little things that then explode up um it's in the same way that like uh you have trending on on twitter with just the hashtags like that can be manipulated as well yeah, yeah that's so that, that's what i mean i'm familiar with i think the uh the, the phenomena right but i'm not sure how bots apply it play, play into that i guess i would be curious to see what these people are saying uh have bots have to do with it the closest thing i can think of is uh we have uh as as, as ryan talked about a little bit there's uh issues of trending content and there's issues of viral content sometimes people will see a lot of the same you know subject come through because it's something that's in the news but other than that yeah the uh, the the topic of bots exploiting that uh, phenomenon is uh, interesting. It's, it's news to me. I think, Josh, uh, on that same note, the only thing I can think of is kind of in the in the U.S. media, anytime Trump would say something, they would call it racist. And so we would get posts. We would get guidance from Facebook. So this was in 2018. Um, they, basically, anytime Trump made a statement about something, they would say – they would give guidance to us as moderators, and they'd say, hey, Trump just – um, went to South Africa and said something racist. This is a dog whistle. Or hey, there's a there's a bunch of migrants coming from um, Honduras in a caravan. Trump made a statement about illegal immigrants, and then they kind of couched it as a racist dog whistle. So they said, hey, watch out for other people who who because of Trump will be saying racist things about immigrants. And they said, watch out for violating content. So that's a little bit similar because you talked about how people feed off of each other. Um, yeah, they would say that about anything, anything that he, any speech that he gives, even regardless, uh, regardless of quotes, uh, you know, statements that he's already made, they will say, uh, I think they said for the state of the union speech last week, they said, look out, the state of the union speech is coming up. So watch out for hate speech. Uh, I mean, it's the president is giving a state of the union speech. I don't know what hate speech you're expecting to look out for, but, uh, they would, yeah, it's, it's, they kind of would, um, they, I don't know, they would kind of just flood anything any move that trump makes uh even before he makes it and say watch out be on the lookout for hate speech you know and not even trump i think there was a straight pride march in response to the uh, pride rallies 
uh, the Straight Pride March, and in anticipation of that, they said, watch out for hate speech, watch out for this or that. But, uh, you know, they treat the, uh, they treat the, Greek, the, the LGBT Pride uh, rallies quite differently because, as Ryan mentioned, there is an uh, exception for calling men filth in the context of those rallies. And I've seen uh, exceptions for allowing images of nudity, which would otherwise be taken down at those rallies. And um, yeah, indeed, uh, it's, 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 it's all very blatant and they lay it right out in front of you because some of these things, talking about Trump, uh, I actually saw a memo drugs to my mind of um, something that Trump said about immigrants, I think, and they said that he, and they actually said this, they actually, this is an actual quote from their, um, from their memo that they gave to us that he dog whistled white supremacists. I mean, I'd have to see the quote, but I, 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 it's very, it's very difficult to, to focus in on, on things that are actually racist when everything is, is racist. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but um, I want to actually go back to something you mentioned at the start that we said we'd, we'd circle back to, which was um, that your company had shut down in the, in the rungs of some workers resigning and some getting PTSD from, from the content they were having to moderate. Do you want to tell me like the story of what happened there? And because that might sound ridiculous to some people that you could be getting PTSD from from looking at some stuff on a computer screen. Yeah. So um, I'll, <laughs> I'll be quick and then I'll, I'll let Zach comment on this. But basically, there was a Verge article at theverge.com that came out in uh, spring of 2019. And so first they did an article about my office in Phoenix, and then they did another article in Tampa at Zach's office. So when they came to Phoenix, like we, we saw the journalist, he walked around, they gave him a tour of the facility. Um, and we have counselors on site 24 seven and they let you know from, they let you know from the get go from the very beginning, what kind of content you're dealing with. Like in the interview, they show you like graphic nudity, pornography, um, violent images. Hey, this is what you're going to be dealing with. So if you have prior mental issues, you, you know what to expect. It's not like they just throw it at you. Um, so I feel like that article, it, it did cause a lot of, it affected our morale a lot. Our morale at the Phoenix office went down a lot after that article came out. Um, and it didn't really do credit for how much counseling services we did provide. So I think Cognizant, you know, it's a tough position. You have a lot of younger people dealing with your graphic content. So, I mean, there's some, some people it didn't really affect as much. I mean, you get little, you get desensitized to it. But uh, I'll let Zach, uh, that's my view. I'm not sure if Zach's view differs at all, but that was kind of my view. Yeah, so like Ryan said, the, uh, there were a number of people who reached out to The Verge last year and said, hey, I'm a, I'm a content moderator for uh, Facebook Recognizance, and I've been seeing these horrible graphic images, you know, people being uh, you know, killed and uh, you know, raped and other such horrible things. And, you know, I feel like uh, they're not doing enough to... Um, I guess, care for my mental well-being, because as you said, there were counselors on the site, but there had been, I guess, earlier on, there had been issues with uh, availability of the counselors and how many times you could see them, how much time you could spend with them. And so there were some probably legitimate grievances regarding um, some of the sensitive content there. And so The Verge, and, you know, of course, they violated their NDAs. They went public, and The Verge published an article um, initially about the office in Phoenix, and then later on, about uh, my office in Tampa. And it was a kind of a public relations disaster, a real nightmare for them because it was uh, kind of like a cat out of the bag situation where they really wanted to keep 
things quiet that this job was being done here in these offices and that you know you couldn't you couldn't say that you worked for Facebook it was an NDA situation so uh, they they were in a weird situation where they kind of wanted to keep things on the down low but also it's like well you know are you trying to sweep this under the rug um, they had some bad public issue pub PR issues with this uh, story and you know long story short it essentially uh, resulted in um, not long after their contract with Facebook was renewed, they actually said, uh, you know, forget it. And I think they, I, I don't know the exact timeline of this thing, but uh, yeah, like I said, uh, late February, everybody was laid off. I think they decided to cut their losses rather than deal with the continuing PR uh, issues. And yeah, both offices were closed at the end of February. They told everybody in Halloween uh, last year that uh, they would be shutting down. And yeah, as I said, uh, late February this year, everybody was, um, everybody was laid off. And it's kind of funny because in the end, uh, some people actually sued about this, regardless of whether or not they shut down the uh, office. People still sued anyway. And Facebook actually just recently settled for it. Uh, Ryan, do you remember how much it was? Um, I, I saw an article about it. Um, I think there was a claim where anybody who, who joined the claim could get like $5,000 or something like that. Yeah, it was um, many millions. It was many millions that they yeah. settled for about this uh, PTSD suit. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, the contract with, with uh, Cognizant was three years, so it started around August, September of 2017. So Cognizant ended the contract prematurely. Well, you know, Cognizant, they're, they're kind of like the competitor to Cisco. They're a big IT company. This was kind of a new kind of area of work for them, doing social media. Um, yeah, I, I, and the, the journalists came to our office, you know, they tried to make the office, it, it's not like we work in a dungeon. People have the same image of, oh, we work in a dungeon, which is all dark, sitting in front of a computer. But my office was actually pretty pretty nice. I liked the setup of it. It was bright, pretty cheerful. Yeah, I don't like to uh, point fingers or make, uh, make anybody out to be like a bad guy. But, uh, you know, honestly, the work conditions there were actually pretty great. It was actually a really laid back job, and I enjoyed it quite a, quite a lot. Um, I think a lot of the people who complained about the conditions, uh, certainly there might have been people who had legitimate issues, you know, certain, um, you know, issues of PTSD, and that's, of course, completely fine, you know. But I think there were probably some people who got, uh, who got greedy. I think people who did not have those issues but see, sought to capitalize on the, uh, on the chance to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm having such a terrible time here. Please give me some more money. Because that was another part of it too. They said that their wages were not high enough, and, and uh, that was actually kind of, sorry to derail it, but that reminded me of a whole other thing. Because they said in response to this, well, yeah, the, Facebook said, well, the wages are too low. You're right. We're actually going to increase them from uh, well, the Tampa office would have gone from 15 an hour to I think 18 dollars an hour, and they said, well, we'll we'll do this. We'll raise the wages, and then in fine print later on, like another week later, they said. We hope, by the way, we hope to have these changes implemented by summer next year. It would have <laughs> taken a year for them to implement those changes. So they, they would have been summer, uh, well, right now, actually. It's, it's uh, July. Um, and so we're waiting for this wage increase to happen. Months, 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 and months, and months go by. And then Halloween comes, and they say, actually, forget the whole thing. We're laying you all off. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like I, I can, I can, I can see that happening. If you're working at a company and they've let you go, and someone files a, a PTSD lawsuit and says, "Yeah, if you claim you were traumatized by these things, images that 
you know, you could you could get five five grand. I'm not. I, I, oh no, I'm wrapped with them every night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And again, it's not to like, belittle. Again, it's not to belittle anybody who actually has those issues. But I think no, of course not. Lot, but I think yeah, there are probably a lot of people that uh, maybe uh, yeah, start to capitalize on it. Like on the flip side of that, um, do you think that the 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 mental cost of of the fact that there are going to have to be until an algorithm is written that is that is intelligent enough to check this that there's going to have to be people moderating content if you have like a content policy do you think that people would consider the mental toll that takes on i don't know how many people that have to do it do you think that people would consider that to be worth what facebook provides to the human race that's a really good question. I mean, uh, you think about the cost-benefit analysis. I mean, Facebook's ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. They're just. They're, it's basically a, a worldwide utility in a way. Like three billion active users between Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. Um, and there's an article um, from 2008 by someone named Rebecca Tushnet, and she talks about kind of some of those trade-offs. And like, so so Facebook's basically an intermediary, right? And they have certain protections, um, so that the cost. If, for example, if you get banned from from Facebook, that's you're losing connections to many friends, and the gains may not be worth the costs. If um, or vice versa. So, as far as the, the the human cost to moderating, I think it's essential at this point. Is it is it worth it? I think Facebook does connect people. Um, I think it's very very a useful tool. Well, they're taking advantage of that. So they're monitoring elections um, and whatnot. Now, the hum- I think they could do a better job of kind of vetting the people who apply because they tell you what's, what's going on, but they rely on you to say, hey, is this okay? But maybe they, maybe they should do more screening. I mean, because you're looking at child pornography, graphic violence. Um, so maybe, maybe if they screen people a little better, like had you do a couple meetings with a counselor before going into the job instead of just letting you make the decision. Well, if you're looking at this like a, it's like a 911 operator, right? You know, it's kind of like you're a first responder. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to answer the question, um, is it worth what they're providing? Is all this worth what they're providing? To that, I say, what are they providing? They're banning you for speaking out against grooming gangs. They're banning you for hate speech, you know, this and that. Uh, they're, you know, doing nothing but censor. You know, all the things that they're taking down, in my opinion, um, with, with the exception of things that are outright illegal. Uh, should be left up. I think that in our country, we have uh, uh, the, the Communications Decency Act, which was pa- passed in the mid-90s, and there's a portion of it called Section 230, which defines that any website, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, but I'm putting this in, I guess, layman's terms from a layman, uh, the, it essentially defines that any website that makes a good faith effort to remove content on their website that is illegal, you know, it's, it's simply illegal, uh, will be will be allowed immunity from prosecution or from being sued, I guess, for hosting uh, illegal you know content. As long as again they make a good faith effort to remove the illegal content and nothing else, you know, it's supposed to be the definition between a platform and a publisher. So, if Facebook, for instance, uh, acts as a publisher and removes not just things that are illegal but things that they want to, you know, remove on the, in a personal sense. If they say someone, you know, they, they want to remove people saying, um, you know, uh, babies are not cute, 
if you say if you say that, we'll remove that. Well, it's not illegal to say that. So if they take down people who say that, as well as things that are illegal, well, no, they're not acting as a platform. They're acting as a publisher because they're editorializing what's you know published on the site. And so in that case, they should be. Uh, they, they, well, they they would not have, or they should not have immunity from being sued for hosting um, illegal content. But you see that they do these things all the time. They have you know policies about um, hate speech and I guess uh, you know bullying and other such things, which are not technically illegal. And they take these things down. And so there's a big conversation right now about this portion of this law that says that uh, essentially they're basically violating. Mm-hmm. Did you have a nod there, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I did some research on. I'll probably send you this. I can send you this document. I did some research on. But yeah, like you said, the so here's the context. Here's the thing you need to know. Look, this law was written in 1996. The internet landscape has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. So the reason they wrote this law is so that these smaller, small little internet forums didn't get sued out of existence because there was a objectionable content. So part of the policy was to preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists for the internet. So right now, where things stand now, I don't know that there is very much competition to Facebook. Facebook kind of has a monopoly. And um, it's literally in the, 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 the law, it's uh, intermediaries like Facebook are labeled as good Samaritans, blocking and screening of offensive material. Well, they're definitely not good Samaritans anymore. Um, but yeah, in that other article I referenced um, from Rebecca Tushnet from 2008, it's called Power Without Responsibility, Intermediaries and the First Amendment. And yeah, it's, 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 it's almost like, okay, it's almost like giving, it's like if the government gave property to private landowners and gave them control over the people present on their land in the hope that the owners would make socially optimal uses of the land but also exempting them from nuisance laws when visitors inflicted harms on third parties. So like if you're a landowner and like a bunch of crap, bad things are happening to the people living on your land, the, the people owning the land are not responsible at all. They're not liable at all. So you, it's mm-hmm. kind of like being a really bad landlord, <laughs> essentially. So that's what's happening. Do you guys believe that Facebook is acting as a de facto publisher and sh- should they be regulated as such? Or does is it that the law needs to be just completely rewritten for the modern age? I think well, it needs to be rewritten. Personally, I think it needs to be rewritten. Rewritten, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that might be that might be part of it. I think uh, given that there are certain uh, nuances to that law, there are you know certain you know portions of it. I, I've heard that there's you know, uh, 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 what would you call it? Um, objectionable content has something to do with it as well. So. It's there's there's some gray areas with the law, and that's what I think. Uh, what Ryan said, I think being rewritten or at least looked at again, I think is the. I, I think at least people looking at it right now is a step in the right direction. I think that is the way to go down. I mean, if you want to ask my personal uh, belief, you know, are are they removing things that are you know, in violation of, uh, in in violation of that more or less? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think there's um, there's no question that you should not be banned for saying, you know, some of the things that people are saying. Yeah, and basically, um, from this article that I, I researched, her, her solution was a policy-based call for action, um, and basically, you know, free speech will be served by particular restraints on intermediaries like Facebook. It, 
restraints on Facebook's ability and incentives to interpose themselves between speakers and audiences. So they're interposing our, themselves between us and um, other people on, on Facebook. And so, but yeah, I, mean, I, I really think it needs to be rewritten. I mean, because if, if you, if it's not just so cut and dry, oh, platform or publisher, they're almost a public utility and I'm kind of libertarian. So I don't want to necessarily have the internet or Facebook regulated like a utility because I can see where that could go, go wrong. Um, imagine paying like paying per post, you know, five, $5 per post, pay, pay that to the government um, or like 50 bucks a month. I, I think the internet should be free, but um, yeah, right now they're they have such a monopoly and there's such a power. Uh, I, I, it's really, it's really hard right now. There's some work being done in, in Congress, uh, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida. He's looking to launch an antitrust probe because of what we uncovered, me and Zach uncovered. So I think antitrust legislation is the way to go. Um, I mean, I, I, Facebook's kind of like monopoly, just like the, uh, the railroad tycoons from the 1800s. They had a clear monopoly. It's kind of the same thing, but I think uh, they're a lot more powerful. Yeah, much in the same boat regarding regulation, but I think that goes to show how bad it is when you have people like you and me who are not exactly uh, excited about the idea of additional regulations in the government uh, who are actually they're actually begging for something to be done about this and actually begging for some regulations to be uh, imposed on some of these giants who are just absolutely abusing their power. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's that kind of situation. Yeah, that was that was kind of my my next question was kind of going in that dir in this direction. How much do you buy the argument that you know if people don't like the way that Facebook run their platform, we should just not go there, and we can use Twitter, or you know, we'll just the 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 market will produce some new social media platform that we will all flock to because it will just be better. Like, how how much do you buy that that case? Well, they're all just as bad as the next. Twitter is even worse than Facebook. As bad as everything that you've heard about Facebook. Then you realize that Facebook is supposed to be the free speech platform. Mark Zuckerberg is the one saying we want an open, you know, an open platform for free ideas. Uh, Facebook is actually supposed to be the best of them, or I guess the least, uh, the least bad. No, they're all horrible. Twitter's just, you know, just the worst. I think uh, to answer it could be question, just because Jack Dorsey is more likable I, than Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe I mean he's at least more human, even if he's more of an extremist yeah. activist. He's at least more human looking, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, to answer the other part of the question, though, I think uh, seeking other avenues and, you know, people always say, oh, well, you don't like it. Well, go create your own. You know, well, that, you know, is an absurd philosophy. I think, you know, people get banned from their people, people's banks ban uh, uh, people from having accounts. What are you going to do? Start your own bank? I think that's absurd. <laughs> uh, and so even regardless of the the logistic issues and the, the, all the problems that come along with this mentality of, oh, you don't like it, go start your own, uh, even as bad as that is foundationally. To look at the overarching scope of social media, it's not going to work out. It's not very productive. It's not good to fracture these things, to fracture so social discourse by, you know, with respect, you know, to the intentions, the good intentions of other platforms like Gab and Parler, et cetera, et cetera. It's not going to benefit us to fracture our public discourse further and i guess you know you can make other, you can make arguments about echo chambers maybe that creates an echo chamber but as a whole i think it's just going to create an unnecessary uh dilution of public discourse and and just complication it's 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 we we shouldn't be fighting to create 
our own spaces. We should be fighting to take back the public space, which we which we deserve and which we have a right to. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because you know Facebook te technically, you know, we use the First Amendment argument, but it, it is a private enterprise. So you can kind of, kind of compare it to the protests we had here in the U.S. The last three or four years. So with Colin Kaepernick, he's a football star, and he would kneel, and he was in a private venue. So people were saying, oh, First First Amendment. Well, technically, like it's a private venue, so it's not it's not like you're standing out on the street. So if you're and that's where the internet gets, gets tricky because and legislators have have really gotten behind on legislating for the internet because they don't even understand it and it's just such a new force so if i'm on the internet and i'm making comments on facebook is it more akin to me you know being in a private stadium or is it more akin to me being on a public street saying things because yeah so that's that's the question we need to, we need to ask and the legislature the legislation needs to address that yeah, it absolutely goes back to what you said earlier about uh, outdated internet laws, outdated laws regarding, uh, you know, internet policy. I think uh, the way things should be right now, as opposed to the way they were, you know, upwards of 30 years ago, uh, is these sites, these social media sites, these giants, are effectively the new digital town square. The bulk of public discourse in the world is done online, and a large portion of that is done on Facebook. So... This is a, it's a completely different landscape, and as you said, I think it needs to be revised. We need to uh, we need these places to be to be categorized and uh, and act as uh, uh, platforms. It's a really difficult thing to figure out exactly how how to do. Like, do you think Congress is actually capable of 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 legislating and, and having this debate? Like, uh, is it actually is that a forum in which it's possible? Or do you need some form of, of like other in body or, or forum in which like the these ideas can be worked out? That one is very tough. I think so, the yeah. European Union, I mean, I think that Europe has seen more progress. And there's other countries throughout the world who have basically put Facebook in place and said, hey, you can't be doing this in our country. So the U.S. doesn't have the same, I guess, control Congress doesn't have the same control over discourse or like some of the actions that the European Union has taken, the U.S. can't take, whether for, for better or for worse. Um, we don't have that kind of control over uh, private companies. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be some issues with Congress getting anything passed. Um, and we'll see what happens in November with with uh, the election. So yeah, it'd be it'd be a really tough road to get anything passed. And it's between Google, Facebook, and YouTube, it's they have tremendous power. I would say their their power outweighs that of of the federal government here in the US. And they, it's it's such a global thing. And I've talked about this in inter other interviews. They have so much influence globally with elections. They even had a training deck for the UK SNAP election. And I saw this the document I I um witnessed and saw was updated like on December 2nd of 2019. So this is recent stuff. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in Europe where you have these nationalist groups who are basically just being labeled as racist and banned completely from Facebook. So yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's tough to, it's a tough road. The legislative road is a tough road. Yeah. That's the toughest thing. Our Congress is, uh, is uh, not very effective. It's, it's, it would be a very tough road to, uh, to, to seek what we, uh, what we wish to, ch to change and affect 
Um, and the and the worst thing is that's actually I think the only uh, the only option. I think that's our last resort is legislative action because we've seen uh, Mark Zuckerberg testify under oath that there's no bias at Facebook. You know, placating, placating left and right. So many times, words you know are cheap. It's 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 nothing has ever changed in the years that we've been talking about this and have been having very serious and tough conversations about it. I think legislative action is our only hope at this point. And even that's it's it's kind of bleak because, like I said, Congress is not very effective. And you know we do have a couple of people who are supporting the cause. I think you mentioned Matt Gates from Florida, uh, from my state, uh, earlier is very much um, interested and invested in this subject. And so is Josh Hawley, who's, uh, you know, proposed a few things before regarding tech censorship. But yeah, it's they're kind of, uh, they're kind of in the minority on this, unfortunately. And it's, it's, it's a whole other issue that has to do with also kind of, you know, frankly, the age of some of these politicians, a lot of these people don't know what, you know, how Facebook works, even it's, it's like, how can you expect them to uh, really get anything done on this? But it it's, it, it's tough, but you kind of have to have hope because if you don't have hope, at least it's you know it's definitely not going to go anywhere. So, I mean, watching watching Zuckerberg in front in front of Congress was kind of it was I don't know if depressing is the word, but it just it's 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 frustrating to see just the the, the lack of understanding of of what's of of the the platform that they're attempting to regulate. Like you would have got so much more if you'd taken twenty just like u- university students and and doing like computer science or something and and got them to write some questions like that that would have been a much better idea. But yeah. um, like how how much influence do you think that Facebook has on on elections? Like how how much like tangible effect can they really have upon upon the outcome of an election? Because like one of the things I, I looked at when I was when I was writing my book um, was that, okay, you, you can look at how many ad impressions were paid for and how much things were discussed on a platform and what things were pushed up the agenda, what was trending. And you, you can look at all of that stuff, but there's no physical like way of measuring. Like some people have done some studies on, you know, if you expose people to the right kind of advertising, like you can swing their likelihood to vote or, you know, not turn out or vote in a certain way. But it's all very kind of like woo and and not really like quantifiable. Like like I haven't seen like what they're doing on the inside. Like how much impact do you think it has like legitimately on an election? So there is some research from a guy named Robert Epstein, who's, uh, who's actually more like a, he was like a liberal or more left-leaning, but he did some research and he found that Google was influencing millions of votes. And his research is very statistical. And when, like, like you say, it's hard to quantify it sometimes, but he was showing that Google influenced millions of votes towards Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, and so... I think that it's, it's very possible. It's very possible to have a big impact. Um, so I did some, I monitored um, some elections in Latin America. So in 2018, there was a Mexican presidential election, um, you know, and Facebook gave exceptions to protect like the, the child of the, the candidate, the presidential candidate in Venezuela. There, there's an article coming out next week, I believe with Newsmax, um, where in Venezuela, Facebook interfered. Like if I'm, 
if I'm making a call to action, a call to arms, like an armed revolution, um, kind of like what we did, the U.S. did in uh, you know 1776. No, no offense there. We we love the U.K. Um, but uh, you, if there was a call to arms, something like that, like an armed revolution, um, you know, Facebook could say, "Hey, delete these posts where you're calling for an armed revolution." So I think the influence is ex very extreme, and that's why they part of the reason why they brought. Um, they hired us in the U.S. after 2016 to have more people onshore moderating content that understand how the election process works. So they said it was all in the name of, you know, voter fraud, misinformation to prevent those Russian bots from from influencing. Mm. But I think that's kind of the guys that they're using because they really understood. They understand that they messed up in 2016. That that's not the outcome they wanted. Yeah, uh, messing up in 2016 is very true. I think. Uh... A lot of people don't know that apparently a lot of their work, a lot of this content work was done overseas. I think it was somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where. Uh, and they had such an issue with the 2016 election, I guess. They said that, uh, I guess, the moderators didn't quite understand our culture. They didn't understand our memes, <laughs> I guess. They said uh, after 2016, very interesting timing right after the election. They said, uh, you know, actually, we're going to move gonna move it all to you know the west we're gonna you know do uh this and that but I which think is very expensive which is very expensive to hire it's hiring people in the u.s is expensive that's why everybody does things offshore yeah yeah and it calls to mind the uh the thing that i think jen and i said from google that project veritas had another story before us about uh uh, uh google and jen and i said something to the effect of uh wanting to prevent another 2016 situation uh, and I think it kind of it, it kind of gave me the same vibes about after 2016 election they wanted to move all the moderate moderation over here. So uh, yeah, I think you could play devil's advocate regarding um, uh, regarding uh, the influence on the election. You could play devil's advocate and say that things are so politically charged right now, and all the bases are so activated that uh, everyone's minds already made up who they're going to vote for. But I would say that like um, you know, like I said before. The large majority of the public discourse is online, and the large majority of that online discourse is on Facebook. They wield such uh, such power and in information, and I would say that because the race is going to be so close this year, uh, it's it even if it's a minor change that they make to people's minds, uh, that could make all the difference. It could just be it could be down to a thousand votes in this election. Well, the, the, the figure, I think, is that the last election came down to 70,000 votes spread across three states, um, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Um, just, yeah, that's a pretty mad concept that you change the mind of 70,000 people and you've changed the entire scope of the last four years. But, like, we had similar things going on with the, with the Brexit referendum mm -hmm. in the UK, where there was a question as to, so the, the Leave campaign, the, the pro-Brexit campaign spent um, most of their budget actually with with uh, aggregate IQ, who are um, definitely not a subsidiary of uh, Cambridge Analytica, and the fact that Cambridge Analytica own all their intellectual property is just a non sequitur and has nothing to do with it at all. But <laughs> um, that, that's what they say. I, I'm just telling you what their what their line is. Um, but. Like they, they paid for uh, 1 billion ad impressions and people basically were asking whether 1 billion ad impressions could change enough minds of the 500,000 people that would have had to vote the other way for the Brexit referendum to have 
gone gone the other way, or five hundred thousand people who didn't turn out to vote, or or so, because the the depends on who like turned out and whatnot because of the figures. But yeah. basically, there was a lot of questions as to whether that could have influenced enough people to change the election. And in America, it was even tighter, and, and like you said, I think it's going to be even closer this this time around. Because Joe Biden doesn't really seem to inspire a lot of, um, <laughs> you know, fervent support from a, a, a large parts of, of the left. But, um, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all online. <laughs> the Internet is the key. You know, you talk about news. Who is paying attention to what the TV is reporting on CNN or, you know, MSNBC or whatever? Nobody's paying attention to that. They're paying attention to Twitter. They're paying attention to social media platforms. That's where all the news is happening. Yeah, and, like, and look, Josh, just want to make a point because you're talking about the UK and I try to stay well informed with Brexit. But you know, the hate speech policy, if I say keep British out of the United States, I'm I'm you think I'm discussing immigration, but that violates the hate speech policy. So they can engineer the policy to exclude uh, certain, you know, any kind of political speech. So I've been on the news with uh with Rebel Media News in Canada talking about election interference. I was on a uh, interview with El Toro TV in Spain because they're targeting nationalist groups, not white nationalist groups, like just nationalist groups, which are not racist. Um, and then, you know, Venezuela as well, Brazil. So, yeah, it, it's global. Um, the thing to remember here is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's on a global scale. They're, they're, why, do, why do they care so much about what's going on with the elections? Well, that's the real question. Like, do <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys are closer to to the answer to that probably than I am. But um, having having worked in in there, has this has the, okay? This is this is taking a slightly different direction here. But I'm, I'm aware we we're, we're sort of running short on time. But has as did working as a content moderator and seeing just like the pure filth that humanity is capable of producing. Did that change your opinion of of humanity or of you know like should the, the idea of freedom of speech that we should just be allowed to say or post whatever we want on online? Did that like change how you thought about that? Um, I think it's true. I think it's a new phenomenon because you know historically, right now we're doing a video chat because as humans we're used to interacting face to face. So I think that I really think that anonymity we get allows us to be more vulgar and horrible people online than we would be in person um so yeah it kind of, kind of did um i guess influence my opinion of people um i'm a little more jaded i guess um but yeah there's a lot of filth on there there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of funny memes out there um i i get, get an appreciation of memes but um but yeah there, there's a lot of just nonsense and, and a lot of things you post in a, going back to elections or just anything in general, like how how often are you going to influence? How effective are you going to be influencing someone's mind? Can you really change someone's mind if you're just talking to a friend? Most people are pretty entrenched, but yeah, I think there's a lot of filth online. You know, we're seeing this human trafficking scandal with Wayfair going on, and we've we've seen like child porn, like people you know trying to share child porn. So yeah, the amount of filth is pretty overwhelming. Yeah, the internet was a mistake. <laughs> I think uh, people should. I think uh, people should have their rights to the internet revoked. I think nobody should have it. No, it was a really, <laughs> it was a really blackpilling job. I, I gotta say, it was just, uh, 
it was it was rough sometimes to be honest with you and it didn't even have anything to do with uh ironically it didn't even have anything to do with some of the more uh i guess vile uh live leak type you know videos that i you know seen there it was mostly just you know <laughs> yeah the human condition i guess seeing the average uh the average person's uh schizophrenic posts and rants on the internet and uh people beating people up for no good reason it's uh yeah, it was really kind of depressing for completely different reasons than you might expect. Um, but yeah, it doesn't change my perspective on anything. I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I guess it makes me appreciate my life and the people around me more. Well, that's a bonus. I guess that can't be you can't you can't speak bad to that. <laughs> um, so, like, last question, guys. Like, what what would happen if you were still working at um at facebook or or being contracted in by them and you wanted to raise these issues say you went to them and go look i don't think this is morally right uh, is there a way we can have this discussion or is it being discussed in a way or in the places that i'm not hearing like say you went to someone higher up and, and raised what you've discussed with me today like what would the reaction be if i were at facebook hq they would have literally laughed in my face but because we worked at Cognizant and people were a little bit more tempered there politically, I guess, they probably would have given me some uh, placating answer about, oh, well, we'll look into it. You know, the typical HR response and say, yeah, well, we'll, you know, uh, we'll, we'll investigate and we'll do, you know, we'll raise up the issue and we'll raise up the question. You know, nothing will ever change, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you raise things up, I mean, there is, there is a policy manager on site who can make some decisions autonomously. And so some of the, I did kind of see firsthand some of the decisions they made. So they would make a decision for us temporarily until they got official guidance from Facebook. But yeah, if I was to question like the morality of what they're doing, I mean, they would just say, well, it's written in the policy, like use your, use your head and not your heart. That was something they always said is if you're struggling with a post that you want to take down or you're, not, you're, you're thinking it should be one way because of your opinion, they would say, use your head, not your heart. And so basically, you know, they have this, Whatever, whatever, twenty thousand word policy that you're supposed to use that's written in a way to censor conservatives, and so I, you know, I try to document. I try to email questions and say, hey, why are we, why did we delete this pro-lifer? Can we, can we reverse it? And um, they would say, oh, well, we can't, we can't invade their privacy, you know. But, but at the same time, anytime you call Greta Thunberg retarded, like that's an instant delete. Like they literally had us working on that, like for a solid, I would say like, you know, a couple of days a week. So it's that double standard. It's like, Oh, we can't, we can't protect the uh, conservative people because we don't want to invade their privacy or we can't, we can't pull those jobs, but they can. Um, so yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of just legalese written in the policy. So you just have to like, there's like, well, you, you ignore your heart, just go with your head what's in the policy, focus on what's in the policy. That's what they, that's kind of the answer you would get. Well, you know, they're very concerned with people's safety. They want to make sure everybody's safe on the platform. They're so yeah. concerned. In fact, that's the reason that they have an exception to the violence and incitement policy, which allows you to make death threats against people who are on their dangerous and hate individuals list. Like Tommy Robinson. Like yeah. Tommy, like Tommy. So like, you, uh, so they, they actually, they, they physically allow you to make death threats against, against like a list of, of specific people. To be specific, yeah. they allow. To be specific, they allow for calls for violence against people who are on 
the uh, these lists, and yeah, as it includes people like uh, I think Tommy, uh, you know, the uh, the the comedian Gavin McInnes is on that list. Um, some other uh, some other uh, I guess controversial people alongside uh, every obscure Nazi officer from World War II that you've never heard of, and uh, curiously, like, like, yeah, like is this like is this like a physical list? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So literally on the list, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. There's Adolf Hitler. Next down, the next line down is Joseph Goebbels, and literally the next line down is Tommy Robinson. It's a physical list. Yeah. And, and Tommy and, Robinson's uh, like a misguided soul, but I don't think he's quite as bad as Hitler. No, <laughs> and that's the curious thing. Also, they've got no left-wing people, extremists on that list. It's all right-wing extremists. Well, but, they added uh, Luis Farrakhan just to be just to kind of. Yeah, he was like there. the token. <laughs> he was the token of the list, I guess. So. That's completely insane. Wow. Yeah. So, so that that's the thing when you start mentioning lists, and and uh, another something that's pretty funny is too is um, I was on the I was interviewing with Alex Jones, and when they oh, banned, you, you were you were interviewing yeah. with Alex Jones. Oh man, that must have been amazing. Yeah, he was like the guy. Show. The guy is nuts, but. Fuck me, he is entertaining. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he got banned from Facebook, right? Um, mm. And Twitter, and all of them the same day. And when they rolled that out to us, when they told us about it, there was a post that told all the content moderators, "Hey, this is an emergency update." So, like, hey, forget about child porn, like all this the stuff we see, like some some you know conspiracy theorists, as some people like to call them. Is more important than everything else we would see. He, I mean, he has, yeah. So that because that's how they label him as a conspiracy theorist, and I guess he was. Well, I mean, I was, think he'd probably yeah. like accept that that title himself pretty yeah. pretty openly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying he is. I think he has to make some valid points about globalism. I think mm. some of the some of the things he talks about are a little bit fringe, but I think he like makes some valid points about hey, maintaining your sovereign control of your own country and not having a globalized government. My no, man there's... Alex, my man Alex gets vindicated time and time again. It's, it's it is like I think one of the best YouTube comments I've ever seen was um was under the, like a clip from from Alex Jones when he was on Joe Rogan like talking about something completely insane and I can't remember what it was and the comment was just what scares me is that Alex Jones is right sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. yeah time and time again time proves him to be right about so many things i think uh yeah it just goes to show how dangerous some of this stuff is where you allow uh you know effectively death threats against these people and meanwhile uh you know they're allowing uh don lemon the cnn anchor to say white men are the biggest terror threat in the country which is the most blatant and obvious violation of hate speech to say something like that and they say well it's newsworthy so we're gonna let him say that we're gonna leave it up yeah but uh, real quick, Josh, I want to mention, I, I, there has been some hate mail directed towards me. I've, I've also gotten a lot of positive support from people on Twitter and Facebook. And since we're, you know, since your podcast is in the UK, I got some fan mail from Ireland. And they oh, said, really? yeah. So they said, Ryan Hartwig, well done, mate. You're a legend in my book. Old school, honorable, big brass, well polished, shiny AF balls. <laughs> So just wanted to share that. Shout out to mm. Ireland. Um, thanks for the support. <laughs> um, part, of my, part of my ancestry, quarter Irish. Mm. Well, I'm coming from, from Belfast, Northern Ireland here, so yeah. we're all good. But 
Um, yeah, guys, uh, uh, if there was anything that you'd like to, to plug or direct people's attention to, you know, do it now, articles, whatnot, anything you've mentioned, um, send to me and I will put it in the description below for anyone who's, who's looking to fi find any of the things we've talked about. Okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah, if, if you want to, I, I, I don't know if you can include, include that, that uh, comment I made from the fan mail. <laughs> if you want to include it, that's fine. If you can't, I understand. <laughs> no, no, we'll stick it in. Why not? It's a nice way to wrap up. Yeah. But yeah, if if there's uh, anything, yeah, anything you want me to to put in the description, you can you can let me know. Um, okay, yeah, we'll probably just uh, send you our GoFundMe links, and I'll send you that research I did on Section Two Thirty. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely big. Definitely looking into Section Two Thirty. I think for us, uh, yeah, the GoFundMe's are good. Um, my Twitter is. Uh, I'll give you my Twitter as well. It's at ZachMCE. It's a Z A C H M C E. And um, yeah, our GoFundMe's are um, the GoFundMe.com slash. We'll, we'll, we'll email. Slash we'll email. Yeah, we'll, you'll yeah. email it. Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, guys, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, that, that was very eye-opening. Yeah. And um, um, I hope you, I hope you had some fun as well. Thanks so much, Josh, and I hope, hope you're feeling better. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks a ton. Was fun. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, you can pre-order my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, by following the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.